Well, good afternoon, good evening, good morning, and uh, welcome to the Holistic Leadership Podcast. Um, thank you for tuning in. Today is is going to be an amazing day. We have uh, Dr. Keith Keating with us, um, and Dr. Keating he hails from Toronto, Canada. He serves as the, as the Chief Learning and Talent uh, and Talent Officer, um, collaborating with numerous Fortune 500 companies worldwide. Uh, he's the author of the groundbreaking breaking L and D Practitioner Guide, the Trusted Learning Advisor, a respected industry author. There it is, and sought after keynote speaker. Uh, Dr. Keating ardently champions lifelong learning as a pathway to seizing control of one's career trajectory, and uh, I take his advice. Uh, he's also an advocate for talent development and leverages his platform to emphasize human talent as the cornerstone of organizational success, um, which Jeffrey and I really, really love. Um, Dr. Ke uh, Dr. Uh, Keating's book, uh, The Trusted Learning Advisor, explains what skills are needed by learning and development professionals to become strategic consultative partners to the business by driving value for the organization and unlocking human potential. So I just want to read one of the quotes that we've seen from one of the people who love his book. It says, Dr. Keating's groundbreaking work serves as a transformative compass for L&D professionals and academics alike, offering not only an update on the latest in learning science, but is also illuminating the path towards fostering trust and building impactful relationships. So... Dr. Keating, uh, Jeffrey and I are extremely happy to have you here um, and just welcome. Thank you. I appreciate it. And my mom is going to appreciate you reading her quote as well. That was very nice of you. <laughs> the check is in the mail. <laughs> Jeffrey sent her a check. So we'll, we'll make sure that we get that cashed for you immediately. Um, so the book is amazing. It's out. It's, it's, got, it's got five star reviews. Um, I'll, for, let's just kick this off first. Tell us a bit about the book. Yeah. So the Trusted Learning Advisor is part manifesto, part guide, part toolkit, part motivational mentor that is intended to support every level of learning and development, talent practitioners, HR, basically anybody that deals with humans, from those who are thinking about maybe moving into this field, all the way to those who've been in the field for 100 plus years like me, to help us, to help them develop the skills and capabilities that they need to be trusted learning advisors. And, and what I mean when I say that is, it's a strategic business partner. Trusted Learning Advisor is embedded in the business, which is often overlooked. And I think we the, the intention and, and what I'm always aiming for is to be sought after, to be listened to, to be trusted, which ultimately enables us to provide a tremendous amount of value for our organizations because we're supporting the most important resource in any organization, which is the talent. So, you know, Keith, it's, it's, it's really interesting, right? Because um, I know Travis has has a has this as a further point, but but I always uh, just kind of do my own thing. Are you throwing him off now? You just <laughs> jump into the fact. Hey, he can't he can't throw me off. Um, we'll, we'll just give it your best. The CLO shot. role is is still relatively new in in most industries. Um, my guess is you've been the first CLO in most of the positions you've been in. I'm curious when you call it a manifesto. What, how would you describe most organizations today when it comes to learning and development? Because when you say manifesto, that to me means you have, without question, in all the work you've done, prescribed or, you know, you've diagnosed, you now are on prescription, and you're basically going to tell us, you know, on this very podcast, uh, where most organizations are at. That feels like a lot of pressure. Maybe I need to go back and look at synonyms for manifesto, because if that's what it means, I am not ready to tell you how most organizations are. What I can tell you is about the organizations I've worked with 
as well as what I learned from other practitioners in the field, including from, from you as well, uh, I would say that it largely is dependent on the organization itself. I don't think we're at a stage yet because it is still so new that we can generally say how CLOs operate across organizations, across different industries, because for the, the three main organizations I've worked with as a CLO, but then the others I've consulted with, every single one of them is different. And every single one of them treats the role differently. The, the title itself isn't standardized. The uh, accountability, the authority isn't standardized. So I think that's one of the challenges that we face is when you look at the CEO, CIO, CTO, CMO, all of those roles are fairly standard. It's, you, you know what you're doing as a CEO in this organization, you're doing here, you know what you're doing as marketing, you know what you're doing as HR. But when we get to learning and talent development, it's truly dependent on how mature that organization is as a learning organization. It's dependent on just so many other factors that can come into play. Um, yeah, that's all I'm gonna say about that. Heath, let me ask you, um, should the CLO report to the CEO? Or should the CLO report to the head of HR? That's another good question. And I've, I, I have to just monitor my words carefully here. It depends on the organization. The reason I say that is the last organization I worked, uh, I reported into the to HR. This organization I reported into the CEO. They're completely different experiences. Because in my current environment, I have no support. I, as, as reporting into the CEO, I'm not going to take that person, my, my complaints, my challenges, my struggles, because they've got so many other things that they're focusing on. And so I have to actively partner with HR, uh, who, who also technically falls under me. Uh, so I, I guess the answer to the question is it just depends. It depends on, on the organization. I don't want to say where it should fall uh, generally, because it, it just depends. Well, and it's an interesting it's an interesting thing, right? So in healthcare, um, you know, I'm sure you'd probably say it depends too, right? But I, I would say overwhelmingly, it's got to get out of HR and be in its own pillar, uh, reporting to the CEO. Uh, Why? Because I, you know, I think, um, and this is where I'll get controversial. I do not believe in healthcare that most human resource departments have advanced and progressed to where we are from a future of work perspective. What I see them do is is the normal, same old, same old that I saw in the decade of, of, of being an administrator. Same old, same old to what they are doing today. And I think overwhelmingly, generally I see CLOs as being the change agents who are trying to transform not just learning, but also culture and experience. And I think historically, at least in healthcare, a lot of the HR folks that are still there have not necessarily been that, been those type of people. Now, I think that can change. Um, certainly, you know, is maybe changing. Uh, but but I have a I, I have a term for HR. I won't share it here because some people get very offended. But uh, overwhelmingly, I do believe that there's a lot of work to do in HR to get it in healthcare to a position of strength uh, compared to what it is today. But here's the challenge with that. Uh... HR, people, talent, L&D. So when you say HR, I'm thinking that you're also talking about people. Like you have the chief people officer, you have the chief HR officer, you have the chief learning officer, you have the chief talent officer. 
we're all kind of talking about the same thing, which is we want to support that most important resource, our humans, our talent. But depending on how your organization is structured, which I go back to my initial statement of it depends on the organization, whether you have a chief people officer and then you have HR or your chief people officer is then HR under them and then talent and then learning is also under them. So it really just depends uh, on the organization. Yep. Yeah, no, and it's a good point, right? You know, I don't want to dominate, so Travis, but just comment earlier. Oh, I didn't even notice Travis was here. Oh, hey, Travis. Hey, hey, welcome. I also give you his analysis of of the of the uh, other sectors, but um, I think you know, to your point, it's a really interesting one, and and the one thing that I do agree with you on that I think is really an important element is, is is it's different in every organization, but healthcare, in my opinion, has been such a siloed. Uh, environment when it comes to these things, because if you think about it to your to your exact effective evaluation and analysis of of people, the fact that you have experience, customer experience in healthcare reports generally to a different area. Um, you know, when you think of uh, diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging usually reports to a different area. All of these things are all about people, yet they're not necessarily uh, in every organization 100 percent aligned. And I think that's why there's fragmentation then when it comes to actually the people experience and then also what our consumers experience. And so I, I do take uh, great, uh, great feedback on what you just shared from that vantage point. No, that's all right. Now, we talk, no, this is this is an important conversation because I think it goes it goes back to the, the, the CLO position is relatively, relatively new. So and it's 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 about where does it belong? Where's the best? Where can you get the best bang for your buck for an L&D? organization and program to be able to get the max you can out of how you impact humans in the organization. I think the bottom line, and uh, Keith, you said it, Jeffrey said it, it's about impacting humans. It's about, it's about, and, and, and your book is about this. How do you bring humans up? How do you, how do you, how do you bring, pull the best out of your people through L and D? So it's, that's, that's kind of the, 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 the crux of the position is it is relatively new and it's kind of ambiguous of where it should fit, but at the end of the day, the core of it, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Keith, because I'm not a, C, a, a CLO, or is, is to be able to impact people to break out of their comfort zones and be better people. At the, I think I think the bottom of the line is that's that's what that's what your job is, and and not your job, but the job of the CLO. Part of the the, the job description is to make sure that you are training your folks to be the best that they can. So, how do you, Keith, convince other stakeholders? of what your role is as the CLO and talent uh, and talent officer. And, and like, how do you, how do you convince and how do you, how do you talk about the role with your key stakeholders? I think it, it, it first of all, it depends on which stakeholder I'm talking to. Um, and it starts with understanding them first. So I would say, you know, what's important to the business, what's important to them, but also what are the larger organizational goals? What's the strategy of either the business partner, stakeholder, business unit organization itself and how are we aligning to support their strategies i think where we often get off track is when we're trying to drive our own initiatives our own um i can't even think of the word right now our own jeffrey help me out here when we're trying to drive our own agenda thank you see uh <laughs> we're together we make a fantastic human um, so yes, driving our own agendas. I see a lot of L and D groups who disassociate themselves from the other business units 
and we speak our own terms. You know, we have our own language, we have our own acronyms, we have our own ways of measuring our value or our ROI. And it's not our stakeholders job or responsibility to translate that and be able to understand what we're saying. It is our responsibility to understand what they're saying and to speak their language. So I would say first and foremost, it's speaking the language of the business so that we're translating our outcomes, our vocabulary, whatever it is into something that's meaningful and relevant to them. It's being able to demonstrate value and, and value is not ROI. I, and this is controversial, I think for some, I thoroughly dislike ROI. When you look at how a business measures and calculates ROI to how we try to do it in learning and development, it does not translate because there are so many outside influences and factors and whether or not something is successful. Uh, you, you've got Phillips ROI, you've got a version of uh, Kirkpatrick, you know, there's all these models that exist, but when you try and take that and give that to a CFO, a CFO looks at it and is like, uh, yeah, that's actually not going to work for us because we cannot report out on those numbers. It's not the way that we report our ROI. So it's, I prefer the word value rather than ROI. And then I think two more pieces and then I'll, I'll, I'll stop, uh, you know, building relationships, um, is the, the, cornerstone of being able to convince anyone, being able to talk to anyone about L&D, about the value, about what we're trying to accomplish is it starts and stops with those relationships. And then lastly, it's about sharing our success stories. And so when I think about value instead of ROI, the, the, the qualitative research that we can do about our success stories really is more impactful to me than an Excel spreadsheet that shows, hey, I had 40 people that took this class, here's how long their butts were in the seats, they completed this, they did that, rather than talking about an individual who was hired, who might have struggled in their role, wasn't performing very well, we were able to coach and develop them, They're, they've now surpassed their measurements, they've now been promoted. Stories like that are much more, more valuable and I think we often overlook the qualitative for the quantitative. You know, I went to KeithKeating.com, and one of the uh, one of the things that <laughs> I will send you your dollar. Thank you. He gets um, a dollar every time he says that. <laughs> it'll help me, you know, well, well, go get the Keith Keating suits that I'm going to check out. Um, you know, one of the things that I was inspired by, and it was also something I was inspired by when I first met you, and is your mission. And I want to read that because I want to I want to ask you to kind of delve into that because that mission, and Travis and I talk about this all the time. I don't want to speak for Travis, but I think both of us would subscribe to the belief that many people are in leadership without a mission and, and are just doing what they think should be done, but aren't thinking about people in most decisions. But you say, my mission is to empower, enable, and encourage our workforce to prepare for the future. But I was delving a little deeper into that because one of the things that I was inspired by was you have a, a very strong focus on design thinking. And that is pretty rare, uh, you know, for someone who's also led human resources, uh, I would say. Can you just share with us, like, when you look at this topic of the future of work, which, you know, is, is upon us as we speak, Every leader is dealing with people challenges. 
how how would you if you were sitting in the room right now with, with you know you do this all the time as a consultant as well if you were sitting in a room with leaders and you were saying to them you've got to empower enable and encourage what would that look like because i know from leaders at gm to several other large corporations have cited you in helping them do that so if you were you know there's leaders listening to this what would you tell them is the first thing that they need to do a learning culture you know, there's got to be a learning culture. And so what I mean by that is when anyone asks me um, about a success that I have or haven't had, or even a learning technology tool that we may have deployed and used, the first thing that I will say is it is dependent on the organizational culture and whether or not they support learning. You and I, we, our success is truly limited, I believe, by the culture. I can only try and drive as much change, but if I don't have support from above and below, I'm not gonna be able to drive that change. And so to empower, enable, and encourage talent, I think those are three diff different strategies. Um, empowering them means that we're creating a culture that supports the ability for them to learn. Encouragement means that we're creating a system that helps them learn. So it could be uh, a quick example, um, setting a certain number of hours that every employee is required to take for learning and development. And I don't mean your compliance and regulatory training or in healthcare, your certification training, your, your yearly credits. I mean, we're creating mean a space. <laughs> yeah. We're creating a space that says, hey, you know, 40 hours a year, whatever the hours is. Uh, we are going to provide you an opportunity to continue to grow and develop as a human in areas outside of your job. Hmm. So empowering, encouraging and enabling them means we've got the tools available. Um, you know, I'll give you an example. Um, tuition reimbursement versus tuition assistance. Huge difference there. Tuition reimbursement means that you are required to pay that money up front and carry that cost for potentially six to eight months. Many employees cannot afford that. So a lot of organizations will say, yeah, we have a tuition reimbursement program. You know, it's $5,000 a year, whatever. Great, you're assuming your employees can afford that, which many of the people that need this actually can't. Those are our frontline workers that tend to live paycheck to paycheck. So you're asking them to carry that cost and then carry the interest rate along with it, but you're not gonna reimburse them for that interest rate. So now they're actually in a deficit for your tuition reimbursement versus tuition assistance, which means I'm paying for it upfront for the employee. I'm truly creating an environment where they can learn. So kind of three quick examples of empowering, enabling and encouraging. It's creating an environment that allows employees to truly grow, learn and develop. You're giving them the time away from their actual job where they are supported to do this. And Many organizations do not do that. They will claim, yeah, we're, we're, we're training our people for the future of work. Uh, these are skills that are important to the organization, not necessarily to the human. And we're also not creating an easy um, way for them to, to be able to pay, sign up and take the training, take the learning. Yeah, that's awesome. So I'm actually doing some consulting for a company right now is doing just that. Uh, they're they're, they're kind of taking a different 
twist on how they develop leaders. Um, instead of the tuition reimbursement or the tuition tuition assistance, they're actually doing an in-house leadership. They're consulting with us to do an in-house leadership uh, two days a month where all of their leaders come to the, come to a room and they're, they, they, what they want to do is they want to be a billion dollar company. So they take the stance of like the way that we're going to get to a billion dollars is by training up our people to be able to become and be ready for when we are a billion dollar company. So to me, they, you talk about in your, in your book being proactive versus reactive. To me, they're taking a big stance on being proactive in their L&D and, 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 and developing to be that company that's going to be, that's going to scale and, and it's going to do great things. Um, can you unpack a little bit more the, the proactive versus reactive approach to L&D and what that means to you? I want to just kind of respond. You, 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 when you were just sharing that, you triggered something, and that is training versus learning. And I think one of the things that as an industry we have to be more conscious on is our vocabulary. When you say the word training, I have a visceral response to it. You know, if you, if you said to me, hey, Keith, um, there's a training you need to go take. It feels punitive. My initial response is, well, is this sexual harassment? Is this compliance regulatory? Like, can I just click through it? <laughs> Tech training. Do I need to go through my compliance yeah. for Can IT? I put my water bottle to <laughs> on my keyboard so that it just like keeps passing all the way through it uh, versus an opportunity to learn, an opportunity to grow, to develop? You know, so for a company that wants to be a billion dollar company, I don't think they want training. They want learning. They want development. They want growth. And I encourage you know, listeners, watchers, our industry in general, just to think about the difference between when you're training someone to do something, to perform a certain activity versus when you're creating space for them to learn, to develop, to, do, to grow. Oh, you know, it, this has been an interesting one, right? Because to your point, this is sort of one of those great debates in, in healthcare, especially right now is because healthcare has for so long called them trainings. And that's why I was smiling because um, there's been such a debate on this topic, but, but I think to your point, when you get into workforce for so long, we've called it training too. I mean, everything in the workforce system is called a training. I think what you're getting at though, is there is, there is an, an innate difference in training someone versus actually putting them on a learning pathway and seeing, you know, seeing what they, what they, uh, experience. Um, so it's definitely interesting, you know, from, from, a, from a various, you know, perspective, I want to ask you, though, Keith, that you know, I want you to kind of expand on this, because when you when you announced your book, one of the things that resonated with me was how um, how transparent you were of your upbringing. And I know you talk about this in the book, and I know Travis didn't put this in any of the questions, uh, but let, let's unpack that, because I think it's really important, because I think there's a lot of people in the world today who don't know how to get to the next place, but have so much to offer. And um, you were somebody who failed out of high school, but then came back, right? Well, that was a high school. So, I mean, I, yeah, so I dropped out. I mean, I don't know if I'd say failed out, but it's not too dissimilar. I dropped out of high school at 15. Uh, I struggled significantly with the formal education system. Uh, I had grown up in Europe uh, and my, when I moved to the U.S., it just didn't match. And so I had teachers saying either I was 
uh, above average and needed to skip a grade, or I had teachers saying I was mentally challenged and needed to be held back and to put in special programs. And so it, at a point I just said, I, I can't do it anymore. It didn't feel like a safe space for me uh, physically or emotionally or mentally. And I, uh, so I dropped out, I got my GED and then I was 15. Um, and so I spent the next 10 or 15 years going in and out of community colleges, you know, trying different programs and just still, still struggling um, with that education system in general. So the, the point about my mission, empowering, enabling, and encouraging talent to take control over their future through the power of learning is based on my own mission and my own recognizing the power of learning. And, and learning doesn't mean school necessarily. And learning doesn't mean training. And I think that's kind of the, the path you're opening up for me to, to talk about here a little bit is that um, for me, I'm extremely passionate about everyone in the world understanding that when you learn how to learn, you are unstoppable. I, I'm not a know-it-all. I don't know much, but I can learn it. I can figure it out. And that is the ultimate skill set that we want, that I want for everyone. Because here's the thing, every organization has problems and they're always going to have problems and they're always going to have transformations and they're always going to be trying to grow and develop and evolve, which is fantastic. But we as learners, as talent, as employees have to also fit into that cycle. We need to be agile, adaptable, resilient, and we need to be learn-it-alls, not know-it-alls. And what I want is I want employees to be able to fill that next organizational gap, whatever it is. And we don't, we don't know what it is. We don't know what's going to happen in three years, five years. None of us predicted COVID besides Bill Gates. And even when it hit, you know, none of us knew how to really react to it, but but we did. We evolved. We learned from it. Our organization shifted overnight. And as as, as much of, as a tragedy as COVID is, there's also some beauty that comes from it. And I think the beauty was our resilience, our agility, our adaptability. And there are companies that did not survive. And a lot of that was related to the fact that they couldn't pivot so quickly. So Long story short, for me, it's it's been, I struggled with education for years and years. And it was part of the reasons why I joined my doctorate or got the doctorate was because I wanted to come out on the other side as somebody who didn't follow that linear path. I didn't come from means. I didn't come from uh, education. I had, you know, I was not a good student in general, um, but I can do it. And I believe you know, if I can do it, somebody who's a high school dropout graduating from Ivy League, then Anybody else who's interested in wanting to do that can also do that. Mind you, you don't need the doctorate to succeed. I was successful before it. Uh, I, and it, it has definitely helped evolve me as a human, as a learning development practitioner, but I didn't need it. But the fact that I have it now gives me a platform to be able to say to others, you don't have to follow that traditional path. Our paths are like our fingerprints. Every single one of them is unique. Uh, Jeffrey, your story is going to be different from Travis's, which is different from mine. Um, and, and I think each of our stories are beautiful and unique, but I just want to be a, a voice for others who have struggled with education as well to say there are education and learning are not the same. And we have so many opportunities to learn now in front of us that we do need to be lifelong learners. And again, that doesn't mean you have to be in school forever. 
but you do need to keep learning. But I gotta and I gotta jump in here too. Like I, I I could not agree more, Keith. I I was the same way. I was the worst student in high school. I did the bare minimum to pass. Um, got to college and didn't go to school. I just I could I didn't I couldn't learn the way they wanted me to learn, and I failed out. I did fail out of college. They sent me a nice little letter, said, "Hey, uh, it's been fun, um, but you just uh, you didn't go to class. So you 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 didn't pass your classes, so we're gonna have to ask you to leave." Um, and then I joined the Marine Corps and then through the Marine Corps really learned how to learn, learned how I learned and was able to do kind of the same thing. And, and, and again, you and I have similar doctoral degrees, They're both doctors of education and mind in, in leadership and, and learning and development and all it is similar paths. But I just want to, I've, I've grabbed the script and I've thrown it out the window at this point, but like, I just wanted to, to highlight for those people, like this is not unattainable by any means, any way, shape or form to anybody listening, anybody hearing this, anybody in, 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 in finding themselves in a place where they're struggling, trying to become educated. And I love that, 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 what you said about the, about, about learning versus being educated, learn it all versus know it all. And I think I'm going to steal that. Um, it's just, there has to be a, a, a future where, Folks like us who the, the traditional learning model just did not work for us or for me. I'll speak for myself. For me, a traditional learning model didn't work for me. So I had to piecemeal together these different things to be able to figure out how I could learn best. And again, you don't need, you don't need the doctorate, but it's it, it allows us to be able to talk about you know, like the, about the attainability of of learning. Uh, and it's just it's 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 super refreshing to hear. And uh, I I just yeah, I love it. At one point, I just want to call out, I think, Jeffrey, you'll probably echo this, but I don't want to speak for you, is uh, I am not promoting at all higher education. And I'm not suggesting in any manner that anyone needs to have higher education. I think that is a completely separate conversation we can have for another time. And I want, I'm reemphasizing that, that to me, lifelong learning and the importance of learning is not necessarily connected to higher education. You can, you can, you can learn everything I learned right now on the internet for free. You don't have to pay a dime for it. So it just depends on the path that you want to take. Um, and reemphasizing that I, I joined the doctorate program because I wanted to achieve a certain status and platform so that then I can say, look, yes, I did all of this, but I didn't follow the traditional path and I didn't necessarily need to do this, but I had the opportunity that was presented to me uh, from a mentor who, cr who created that opportunity and I wanted to take advantage of it. But for me, the importance is lifelong learning can happen so many different ways and, and can be free or very low cost. Well, and I think to your point, the other piece of that too is right, you know, higher ed like lifelong learning should always be career connected. You know, and that's where that's really where the ultimate opportunity is for for anyone that's in higher education today. If you don't see yourself as as teaching pedagogy that leads to career upskilling, leadership development, you name it, then then you're you're misguiding uh, our future. Um, and so I think you know to your point that that's super uh, super critical. Um, you know, I want to. I'm curious though. You know, we've got probably maybe a minute or two uh, left. Um, and I just want to give you, you know, just an opportunity before Travis closes us out, um, just to just to share with people, particularly um, a sense of hope, because this is a really rough time uh, in a really challenging world. 
And many people would, would say, um, when they hear this, they're going to say, love what Dr. Keating is saying, but how do I do it? And so I just want to ask you to just share what, what should they do? How should they do it? Um, certainly read the book, but, but what will help them uh, bring back that desire to do, you know, to enact change in organizations uh, if they're dealing with a really rough culture, those types of things? few things. Uh, yes, one, by the book. It's all in there. Uh, step two, yes, every answer is in there. And it's it's much more eloquently put in there because it's been edited a hundred times. Um, here, here's the most important thing to remember is why are you in this industry? You know, why are you doing this? Take a step back and think about whether, is this just a job? Is it just a paycheck for you? To, for me, it started as absolutely that. I lucked into it. I didn't want to be in this field. It's not like I grew up and said, hey, I want to be in learning and development. Didn't know what it was. I was in fast food. I found a way to get out of fast food by being an, a Microsoft Office trainer. Had no idea what it meant to be a trainer. Uh, I thought, yeah, anybody could do this. I was the worst trainer that ever existed. See, now we but know I, why he doesn't like the word training, Travis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, Make some twitch. So I, I studied. I, I every day I got 0.0001% better, and, and eventually it turned into a job. Hmm. Then it turned into a career. Then it turned into a passion. Then it turned into a calling. Hmm. But it took hmm. all of that trajectory. I've been in the field for 25 years. I started when I was five. If you're doing the math, uh, but <laughs> it, it took that long. Older than me. Yeah. <laughs> It's, so it's important to first recognize where you are on that journey. I hope that you get to that point where it is a passion and then you, it becomes a calling. And for me, I look at, um, I, I try and find the passion in what I do, not try to let passion drive me. I think some people get a little bit lost with that sometimes, but I look at the passion. So I found the passion. Moral of the story is this. Our employees need us. Our talent needs us. Our people needs us. There is no one else in the organization where it is their job to look out for the talent and to help them grow and develop. HR doesn't do that. It, to your point earlier, you know, about the difference between HR and L&D. HR looks at benefits. They look at an aspect of the well-being of an employee, but no one is looking every day at are my people growing? Are they developing? Do they have the skills that they need to be successful? And here's here's the big thing, the big motivational piece. Uh, and I'm going to get to the motivation in just a moment. AI is going to disrupt all of us. It is disrupting all of us. Every industry, every role, no one is safe from it. I don't see that as necessarily a bad thing because we still have time to figure out what that means. And that is our responsibility as learning and development practitioners to be looking at our organization to figure out which roles are at risk, either of being redundant or being significantly changed. Those employees, they don't know. They don't know until it's too late when we HR, someone comes to them and says, hey, sorry, your role is now redundant. It's time to move on. And they're hit suddenly with, oh my gosh, I'm, wait, you mean we don't need copywriters anymore? We don't need anymore? We don't need uh, writers? We don't need editors? We don't need this? The change is coming. We have time to help our employees develop and get prepared and get ready. For me, that's what drives me right now is knowing that they do need us. Here's the thing. It's a thankless job. No one reaches out to me ever and says, thank you for what you're doing. 
And I think that is felt probably across most L&D practitioners. All we see is a little sliver of what we do. So it can feel hopeless at times. It can feel like no one cares. It can feel like it's thankless, like there's no one supporting us. And you're not necessarily wrong. But at the end of the day, people need us. Whether or not they know it now, when they're not laid off, when they have developed those skills, when their job is saved or they're able to transfer into a new job, that's us. We did that. We may not be noticed for it or thanked for it, but that's what drives me is to know that I can help support my talent, the people in my organization to have a future. And I try and think of it beyond just the organization. I do think of it as their a future in general, because once they learn how to learn, once we can help them tap into that, understanding the skills that they have, they have a future. And that's just what, that's what I want. I want all of the employees to, to not live in fear because many people do live in fear for the future of their job. And it's a horrible place to be. And I, I have the, the luxury and the benefit of never living in fear because I know that I can solve problems in organizations. So I'm going to always have a job. And I want everyone to have that same type of self-awareness, security, self, um, just knowing that there is a place and a future for them. So hopefully, Jeffrey, that was motivational enough for you. Oh, yeah. No, I, I agree. That was, yeah. Yeah, that was amazing. And first, I want to and, and from uh, thank you. So make sure you pass on a thank you from us to you and your team because it is important. Uh, we don't see that you know people get promoted because of, of of what they've learned about the job that they got promoted into, or they've done some kind of uh, learning, not training, to be able to help them to get into a position. So just grateful for what you do, what you what you're bringing into the space, the innovation that you are, and innovation is not always tech, the innovation, the, the way that you're thinking differently about L&D into the space is, is, is it's refreshing and it's something that the world needs. So before we close, I have, I have two things. One, for those that are watching this, what's the name of the individual over your left shoulder who's sitting in that chair and is he left over from Halloween? <laughs> because he's freaking me out right it's now. It's so funny, Charles. I don't even ask too. And I kept looking. What is that? <laughs> so for, the, for those who are listening, over Dr. Keating's shoulder is a looking like a mummified individual left over from Halloween. He's going to bring him oh, over no, here. No, There's no, the light. No, he's turning no, it on. There he is. He's, uh, he's definitely some kind of zombie, no face kind of kind of human. Great prop for the podcast. I appreciate you bringing that. I actually just thought us. he was a mascot. And, uh, <laughs> that could have been the pen mascot. It could have been. Second thing I want to talk, I just wanted, this is where I want to close this out is where, where can people find you? Where can people find your book? Where do you want people to search for Dr. Keith Keating and get a hold of you? I would say the bookseller of your choice. Uh, Amazon is always the easiest one for me. Plus, you know, it's a good way to track all the reviews, the, you know, the five-star reviews. Uh, you can add anything less, but we prefer five-star reviews. Uh, you can also go to uh, keithkeating.com, as Jeffrey had already noted, or uh, LinkedIn. Very active on LinkedIn, so please feel free to add me there. Nice. Well, again, thank you so much. This is a great conversation. We went off script, which is the kind of the point of all of these things is to go off script and just have a really great conversation. So thank you for uh, indulging us. And uh, I appreciate your time. And for the listeners out there, um, go check out Dr. Keating. Um, you will not be disappointed in the book or following him on uh, on, on, on LinkedIn. Um, so thank you all for your time. Uh, tune in next time. And I promise, once again, I, I make a lot of promises on this on this podcast, but I promise 
that you will not be so disappointed uh, by subscribing and listening to, to, to Jeffrey and I talk about leadership, everything leadership, everything healthcare, holistic leadership. So thank you. And we'll see you all next time. Thank you.